0: You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Let's go straight into God's Word. Open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 6, we will read, Let's rise up for the reading of God's Word as is our good custom in all house-on-the-rock churches. Mark 6, verse 1 to verse 6. If you are online, invite somebody else to join us right now. Share the feed on Facebook. As many people as possible, this is the Pivotal time of God's Word. Mark 6, verse 1 to 6. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon are not his sisters here with us. So they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. I don't want to keep you standing for long, so you may be seated. Mark here says, Jesus Could not, not that Jesus would not, he said that Jesus could not do any mighty works in his own hometown. Oh, yes. It it was not that he was not willing to do mighty works there, but rather that he could not. Something was restraining him. Something was stopping him from being able to do mighty works there. Why could he not? Because of their unbelief. Why were they so unbelieving? Because of their perception of him. They said, is this not the carpenter's son? Uh, do, Do we not know his mother, his brothers, his sisters? In other words, they had seen him in a particular light and they refused to see him in any other light than their prior light of him. You know how it is, how some people have taken a snap picture of who you are and even though God has moved you from where you used to be, they refuse to see you in any new light. This was what we call in Africa, see finish." When you've seen somebody, have you decided that this is how they are, and there will never be anything different? But that devil is a liar. Your perception determines your reception. A Mark, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 41, rather, says that uh, he who receives a prophet— In the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. So what determines what you receive is not the giver, but actually the receiver in exactly how he perceives the giver. So if I be a prophet, but you only see me as a righteous man, all you can receive from me is a righteous man's reward, even though I be a prophet. I might be carrying so much more than you are aware, but your perception determines your reception. Because of their wrong perception of Jesus, God incarnate, they could not receive significant miracles from Christ. Jesus. And I find that Jesus understood this so very often Jesus would ask people that came to him for miracles, do you believe I can do this? What's he asking them? He's asking them, what is your perception? of me. Ah yes, because a flawed perception will result in a flawed reception. Accurate perception uh, makes means accurate reception. Your perception is your reality. It doesn't even have to be real. If you perceive it to be so, that becomes your reality. There is nowhere where this principle is as important and as critical as our perception of God. If you perceive God wrongly, then you limit God and receive imperfectly from him. Maybe the reason you're not receiving what you expect to receive from God is because you are seeing God wrongly. Your perception of Him is skewed. What if we have been painted a wrong picture of God and as a result, we have a wrong perception of Him and therefore we are not receiving as we are meant to receive from Him? It is time for us to rediscover God. And the subject of my short meditation this Sunday morning is rediscover God at the table. Mighty Father, I ask that you send the anointing that makes preaching, teaching, sharing your truth easy, that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women here your living truth, and that by reason of that truth, we'll be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Lord, I pray that you help me to unveil you. To not misrepresent you, to not give a skewed picture of who you are, but help me, oh God, to accurately communicate your heart, your person, in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. And the people said aloud, amen. This is our month of discovery, John chapter 8 and verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It is not really the truth that makes free, don't stone me yet, it is the knowledge of the truth that makes free. So if you do not know the truth, you will not be made free. No wonder God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of of the truth. Now, one of the synonyms for the word know is actually discover. To know is to discover. To discover is to know. So, if I were to read John chapter 8 and verse 32 in the discovery translation, it would be, and you shall discover the truth, and the truth that you discover will make you free. To discover is to come to know, to uncover, to become aware of, to make a new finding, to unveil, to unmask, to reveal, to expose, to divulge, to lay bare. Ah, uh, yes. The truth between I've come to find out that we have not actually been called to do too much. We've really been called to know. We've been called to come into the knowledge of what has already been done for us. So our journey in Christ is meant to be a journey of discovery after discovery after discovery after discovery. I prophesy over you that you are going to enter into new discoveries this month like never before. If you believe it, come and shout amen. Amen. Paul's consistent prayer for the believer was not that they would do. Primarily what he always was praying for the believer is that they would know, that they would discuss. Oh, yes, some things are being withheld from you simply because you have not discovered your right to them. But the day you discover that I have a right uh, to this thing, oh, yes, in my language, you say, that means that now I'm going to take it. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, and nobody can stop me from taking what is rightfully mine. As long as you are in the dark. As regards your right to them, they will continue to be denied to you. But the day you discover your right, no longer will you abide it being denied you, not a day longer. Your discoveries will lead to recoveries. Can I prophesy to somebody? Because I know that none of us have been without the experience of loss in these last 18 months. But I want to prophesy to you by reason of the discovery of the finished work of God, by reason of this discovery. Of what God has already done for you You are going to make great recoveries I see recoveries in the north uh, On the south uh, In the east and in the west Uh, I see recoveries all around Uh, You are recovering your strength You are recovering your joy You are recovering your wisdom You are recovering your direction Uh, Come on, you are recovering your anointed You are recovering your position and your place By reason of the discoveries uh, Of the finished work of Christ Somebody shout Yeah! You will not only discover things this month, you will be discovered. They're going to discover you on the job, in your field, in your sector. They're going to discover you for remuneration. They're going to discover you for promotion. They're going to discover you for lifting. Somebody is going to remember you for, for good. Even in this month, if you believe it, if that word is for you, shout Amen! you discover your true position in Christ Jesus. You'll discover your power and the power of God that is available to you. You'll discover your authentic pot- potential. You're going to discover your calling, your gifted, and your purpose. You are going to discover God afresh. Hallelujah, if you believe it. Shout amen. That product that you have been working on, it's about to discovered. That witty av- 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 invention that God gave you, its its about to be discovered. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. But the place to start is with the discovery of God. The rediscovery of God. So in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16 to 19, Paul prays. Like I've already told you, Paul's prayer very often, Paul's prayers were very often twofold. Number one, thanking God for what God has already done. Number two, that you would know. Check it out. Check his prayer in the Colossians, book of Colossians. Check his prayers all over the New Testament. He's always praying that you would know. Not so much that you would do. That you would discover. Oh, there are stuff to to be done, but the knowing comes before the doing. That you would discover that you will know. So we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 16 and verse 19, it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I could go on and on. Uh, and this Sunday, is th- there's not enough time for me to fully exegete this text. Uh, there are three discoveries in Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 here. And these three discoveries actually form the simple process in-house on the Rock London, that you discover God, that you discover who you are, and that you discover your place in the church and in the world. Uh, uh, but, but Paul is praying that you would know stuff, not that you would do stuff. Uh, and the first discovery that Paul is praying for the efficient church and by extension for you and for me is that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? In the knowledge of him, in the knowledge of him. So this is the discovery of God. The first and foundational and pivotal discovery that you must make is to have an accurate discovery of who God is. I believe that we have suffered greatly from a misrepresentation of who God is, and this has resulted in a flawed perception of who He is, and therefore a flawed reception of what He would want us to have. Uh, some of the misrepresentation of who God is um, has been unintentional, while some has been very deliberate. Uh, because gain from giving a wrong picture of who God is. Uh, Some of the misrepresentation of who God is has been because men have not learned how to rightly divide the Word of God, how to rightly interpret the truth of God's Word. Uh, Now, we have a challenge because sometimes when you read the Bible, the picture and the characteristics of the God that we meet in the Old Testament seems to be very different from the picture of the God that we see under the new covenant. Can I get a witness? It looks like they, they look a little bit different. And so people seem to struggle. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Because they seem to be contradistinctive. They seem to be different from one another. Many old-time believers present the God of the Old Testament as the OG, the original gangster. Oh, no, sorry, the original God. While the God of the New Testament is a pretender to the throne. But that devil is a liar. Can I tell somebody today that is the same God of the Old Testament that is the God of the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the original God, the original gangster eh, that does great righteous things uh, for his children. He hasn't changed. However, we still have a problem with the way that he is depicted in the Old Testament and the way that we see him in the New. New Testament, how can he be the same God? Maybe the problem is not with who he is, but with how men saw him and therefore how men presented him to us. Maybe it's not God that is changing, maybe it is uh, the author, the writer, that is only speaking uh, in the language that he understands and the way that he saw things. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the way he was presented in the Old Testament was therefore different from the way he is presented in the New Testament, but it is not him that changed, it's the presentation that changed. Did you hear me? What I say? So, so, so you must understand. Uh, why did the Old Testament writer, the Old Testament author, present God differently from the New Testament writer? Well, the Old Testament writer saw and wrote through a veil. Didn't you read it in the New Testament, in the book of 2 Corinthians, where it says that there was a veil upon Moses' face, which was depicting uh, that they couldn't see things clearly. So the Old Testament was written with a veil on their face. They couldn't see it clearly while the veil is removed in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament writer had no clear concept of a devil uh, and demons uh, and the evil world. Uh, in, in the mind of the Old Testament writer, all things emanated from God. Let's rightly divide this. When you understand that, you start to understand the language of the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament writer will say the evil spirit from the presence of the Lord came down to torment Saul, as if God has a special compartment in heaven where he keeps evil spirits to send to torment people. That devil is a liar. It's it's just the Old Testament writer who has to subscribe all responsibility to God that would say that the lying spirit from God, the evil spirit from God, God. He's writing as he knew it. He had no clear concept that there was a devil separate from God and the evil spirit wasn't being on assignment from God but was on permission from God. Assignment is different from permission. Permission is because this is a world where he has given us the right to choose and because we have a right to choose, he has to permit certain things. When you understand this about the Old Testament writer, when you rightly divide the Word of God when it comes to this, the Old Testament all of a sudden takes on a new flavor. You start to see all sorts of things in the Old Testament that you start to say that, okay, that's not exactly accurate. In other words, the Old Testament is actually supposed to be interpreted in the light of the New Testament. You know that scripture that we love to quote, especially when we lose somebody that is close to us and we feel the pain of it and we say, God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I understand where you're coming from. I have empathy to your pain, but can I make it clear? It's not God that taketh away. It's not God that taketh away. That's the Old Testament writer. He's right in the way he sees it. He has to ascribe every responsibility for everything that happens to God. God giveth and God giveth and God giveth and God giveth. And he keeps giving. He's the giving God. I know I'm coming against religious mindset here. I know it's tough, but stay with me. It's going to make sense. (sighs) So, in our movement from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is not God that is changing. It's our perception of Him that is changing. We are getting more accurate in our perception of Him. Listen to what Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16 and 17 says Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow. Of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. What he's already tried to get you to see is that everything you're reading in the Old Covenant with the veil over it is a shadow. You can't hug a shadow. You can't hold a shadow. You can't take from a shadow. The substance, the real thing, is Christ. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 says, for the law, having a shadow, it was a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never be, never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. The Old Testament was the shadow while the New Testament is the substance. The picture of God we had in the Old Testament was a shadow while the accurate picture of God is seen in the light of of the New Testament. Now somebody's going to say, but but why would God allow men to write that way? (laughs) It is the glory of God to conceal the thing It is the honor of kings. We are kings and priests to unearth the truth. Hallelujah. God still wanted to convey himself to you. And even though he knew that uh, men in their frailty, in their transcription, would still put in their perception, their perspective, how they understood things. Ezekiel would talk about a will and a, in a will because that's all he had to describe what he was seeing in the Spirit. But then we understand now that he was probably talking about automobiles. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? You can only get a clear picture of God in the light of the new covenant. Okay. Oh, that we would study to rightly divide the word of truth, that we will no longer be put to shame. We are first introduced to God in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 of verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. This is our first introduction to God in the Bible. In the beginning. God in the beginning. God in the beginning. That in itself is a little bit of an inaccurate translation. Why is it an inaccurate translation? Because normal human language cannot depict where God is, because the truth be told, when you say in the beginning, God has no beginning. So he's not in the beginning, the beginning is in him. Oh, yeah. He's the one who started all things without having a start. He began all things without having a beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the A and the Z. He is awesome. Uh, he's mightier than mighty could ever be. Uh, describing him as mighty is only us trying to put a qualification to his mightiness, which we cannot comprehend. Is anybody hear me, what I'm saying? He's the ancient of days. He's the rock of ages. He's the, uh, the Jehovah, Jireh. Jehovah. Rapha, Jehovah Sabaoth, Sa- he is mighty, he is glorious, he is more powerful than power could ever be, this is our God in the beginning, God, in the beginning God, in the begun- beginning God. Then he says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, so we are introduced to God as the creator. And then he proceeds and he tells us what he creates. And for six days, he creates everything. He creates the sun, the moon, the earth, the oceans, the birds, the animals, the plants. He creates everything that we see. And then the pinnacle of his creation was to create man. And then after creating man, he introduces man to what he had created. This very sequence starts to unveil to you our God, the creator, who first of all creates everything before he creates the man that's meant to enjoy the everything that he created. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's already revealing himself to you that this is the way I operate. I create everything. I finish the work, then I introduce you to the work that I have finished. I finished the work, then I introduced you to the worker. I've taught you this before. Uh, he finished the work, and then it says on the seventh day he rested. He did not rest because he was tired, exhausted, or expended all of his energy. He rested because he was finished. And then man's first cognitive day, day on the face of the earth is God's seventh day of rest. So man was born into rest, introduced to rest, introduced to the finished work. So the Sabbath is actually all about the finished work, but we've made it about religion. Religion has misrepresented God to us. Has painted a picture of God that is not an accurate picture. So he prepares all things and then calls man to enjoy tend and keep what he has prepared. It is the entry of sin that alters the script. Who understands God? Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories, this is to boast, glory in this that he understands and knows me. If you are going to boast in anything, this is the only thing you should boast in that you understand and know, God, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, saith the Lord. Hmm. Know this that He is the God of loving kindness, judgment, and and righteousness. It is only He that can hold these three quantities within Himself without betraying any. Because naturally, these three elements don't always work together. He is both merciful and just. At the same time, hardly can you be one without violating the other. We human beings, when we try to be just, we violate mercy. When we try to be merciful, we violate justice. This is the challenge of the human condition. Only God is able to be both merciful and just at the same time without violating either. So, the wages of sin is death. and god being a just god must deliver those wages otherwise we could consider him unjust but at the same time he is a merciful god who must express the riches of his mercy So now here is the man, the sinner, who is deserving of justice, judgment from the just God, but also is meant to be a recipient of great mercy from the merciful God. So how will God dispense both without violating either of them? He does it through Christ. Thank you, Jesus. He does it through Christ. This is the reason he sends... Christ Jesus. So we go to John and chapter 3 and verse 16, and he says, For God so loved the world, oh God so rich in mercy, he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God, wanting to be both merciful and just at the same time, sends Jesus on the sin, not to live but to die. So that uh, on the cross, uh, Jesus uh, could uh, take all of the punishment and the righteous justice uh, of a just God on your behalf and on my behalf, so that God could remain just. Uh, uh, Do you get me what I'm saying? And so that he could be merciful at the same time. So Jesus pays the price. Taking the judgment that you are deserving of, so that now you can receive the mercy that you could not have had before. Woo! Hallelujah. Listen, listen, listen. When you go further in that John chapter 3, verse 16 is the popular one. Then you read on to verse 17. And in verse 17 it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you see... How sometimes we've misrepresented God, because even when we talk about Jesus coming uh, and Jesus coming to the earth, somehow we still mix up the script and make it seem like he came to condemn us. We preach the gospel as if it is a message of condemnation. Oh, Jesus came. No, no, it's clear here. He did not send his son here to condemn you. He sent his son here to deliver you, to save you. Where, how did you get it mixed up? It goes further in verse 18. He says, he who believes in him, he who believes in the Son, is not condemned. For he who does not believe, now listen to this statement, is condemned already. Jesus didn't need to come to condemn us. We were already condemned for the wages of sin is death. Why does he need to bring insult to the injury? He didn't come to condemn you. He came to deliver you. Any gospel that is preaching condemnation is not the true gospel. For in the Word of God, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Whoo! We misrepresented God as an angry, judgmental, looking for every and any excuse to send us to hell. But no, this was wrong. It's in the evolution, or rather the progression. You know, we religious Christians, there are certain words that we don't even want to hear because of the negative connotations attached to, to those words. But let's just basic English. Let's not make it into what it is not. Evolution means progressive development, eh? So you are, you, you are comfortable, more comfortable with me saying progressive development. Don't just say that word, evolution. <laughs> we mastered and acquired PhDs in the law, and it was part of the progression of revelation in the church, because the law was given, us, given to us as a tutor to bring us to Christ ultimately. So I will never judge or discountenance the part of our journey where we majored on the law, because it was an essential part of the journey. So I will still honor the Charles Phineas and other great men of faith who knew how to use the law. My goodness, they knew how to use the law. My goodness, they could preach the law so strong. They were so anointed and graced in preaching the law and preaching hell and death and sin so clearly that men will fall down In fact, I've forgotten the the speaker now that preached um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And the the story is told about when he preached that message, how people were holding pillars in the the building where he was preaching it, crying, because it was almost as if hell was opening up to swallow them right then and there. And he brought them to repentance and to Christ. That was part of our journey. But now we've come to the place where we understand that the law was the tutor. It was, uh, was a part of the pathway to an ultimate destination. Which destination is Christ? Which destination is grace? So we don't discountenance where we've come from. But we're not going to be, uh, set up a tabernacle with, uh, at where we came from to sit there when God is taking us somewhere else. Is, are you hearing me what I'm saying? So we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 20. I love this portion of Scripture as I'm starting to bring this thing to a close. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, all things have become new, all things are now of God. Who has, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus? It's not who is going to, who has reconciled us. So, he's already paid the price. He's already paid for our reconciliation. Is that clear? And then he says, and has given us, you and uh, and I who are saved, he has given us the same ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. Why? Because somebody has paid the price, Christ Jesus, has committed to us the same word of reconciliation. Now we are ambassadors. We are meant to be ambassadors of that same message, that God is no longer angry with you. Somebody's paid the price. Hello? That's what we are ambassadors of, that the world has been reconciled back unto God through Christ Jesus. You are missing out on so great a salvation that has already been paid for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In fact, he says that we are ambassadors of Christ as if God were in us pleading. We are pleading with men. How can you pass on this, pass by this big deal? How? God is not bad today and good tomorrow, then bad the next day, and then good the next day our God is consistent. The God of the Old Testament is not different from the God of the New Testament. We just did not see him clearly in the Old Testament, and the price had not yet been paid at that point in time. But now we see him clearly in the New. So in James chapter 1, we read in verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of light. Now, Listen to the description of the Father of light. With whom there is no variation, there is no variableness, nor even the shadow of turning. Not that there is no turning, even the hint, even the suggestion of turning. So my God is consistent. My God is consistently good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light, in whom there is no variableness, nor the shadow of turning. Ah, my God is consistent. Consistent, my God is good. Somebody shout all the time. You see, if your God is inconsistent, how can you have faith? If your God is inconsistent, then how do you know whether this is one of the good days or the bad days? He's consistent. Listen, most of us do not have a problem believing in the ability of God. Where we struggle is the willingness of God. And the reason that we struggle with the willingness of God is because we haven't gotten a clear picture of who he is. Because if we got a clear picture of who he is, you know that he's not just willing, he's already willed. (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Not thoughts of evil, but of peace to give you a future and a hope. His thoughts of you are not of evil. His thoughts are thoughts of peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. When you fully understand what I've just told you about God, when you understand who He is, when you understand His disposition, you then understand why this communion table could never be a table of cursing. This table that was instituted by God is symbolic and representative of what he has already done for you and for me. It's a table of blessing. The gospel is simple. We work hard to complicate it. He's paid the price. Receive what he's paid for. Hello? That's it. But we complicate it. We find ways of, you no, know, religion. Must we'll No, 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 no. It's, no, it's not like that. It can't be that simple. How can it be that simple? No, 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 no. You don't understand. There are deeper tears. Psalms 23 verse 5, he prepareth a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, there's nothing the devil can do about it. He's already prepared the table. Yours is to come to the table and enjoy what he has prepared. We were afraid of this table. Religion made us afraid of this table. Especially when we read in the book of Corinthians that if anyone would eat of this table in an unworthy manner, they eat condemnation unto themselves. And for this cause, many are weak, sick, And sleep, die, I missed you. And we thought that that meant that if you partook of this table, you could be taking poison into your your own system. That devil is a liar. Because we didn't understand, we didn't understand who God was. If you understand, and if you have understood everything I just taught you, you will understand therefore, That he couldn't have set this table up to curse you. He only set this table up to bless you. He didn't talk about your worthiness or your unworthiness. He talked about the manner in which you approach the table. And what is that manner? Not rightly discerning the body of Christ. Not rightly understanding now, when you don't rightly understand the body of Christ, when you don't rightly understand what Jesus has done for you and you partake of this table, he's doing nothing for you. You just took a snack. But it's not the causative agent for your weakness, sickness, or death. The weakness, sickness, and death was, is already in operation on the earth. Is already in operation in the body of sin. Is already in, uh, an operation in the flesh so you didn't need this table to make that happen that was already happening this table came to stop and to reverse that progression but you don't tap into the power for it to stop and reverse that progression if you don't rightly discern the Lord's body if you have not discovered who God is When you rightly discern, when you have discovered who he is, and you now partake of this table with that understanding and that revelation, it unlocks the vesters of glory and the greatness of his power towards those of us who believe. That same mighty power that brought Jesus back from the dead. So by his spirit, he quickens our mortal bodies. Thank you, Jesus. As I behold the glory of his finished work, my heart is full of gratitude. My worship changes. You know, some people will see us worshiping, singing, dancing, kneeling down, tears running down our face. That's the one place where I have absolutely no shame crying. Because I see what he has done. If I had a thousand tongues, it would not be enough to appreciate him. If I sang a million songs, I still would not have scratched the surface of my appreciation of the price he has paid. But attempt I must to express that gratitude day after day after day. So my ministry and my service comes out of the gratitude of the knowledge of the finished work. How can I faint in service towards him? I cannot faint. This is not an entitlement. I deserve nothing, but his mercy gave me everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know whether there's anybody grateful like me under the sound of my voice, just appreciative of this consistent God. Even when we were faithless, he remained faithful faithful. Scarcely will a man die for another man, a righteous man. How will God willingly die for the unrighteous, for the sinner? Such great love. Such great love. We're going to go to the communion table shortly. But I can't do that without giving an opportunity for somebody under the sound of my voice that has not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. If you're out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior, how can you pass up such great a salvation, such a great thing that has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus just for you? If you are ready to receive him today, please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you. For the finished work thank you for the price that you paid for me thank you for giving your life for me today I repent of my sin I believe in my heart I confess with my mouth I accept you as my Lord and my Savior amen and amen If you pray that prayer, you are saved. You are born again. Welcome into the body of Christ. We want to help you to grow in the Lord. So please direct message us on any of our platforms or use the details that are on the screen or visit our website. And let's help you to grow in the Lord. It is imperative in this day and age that you will be planted in the house of the Lord. Don't be a roving Christian. Be a planted Christian. That will be planted in the house, flourish in the court in the name of Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTRLondon. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTRLondon. For more information visit our website on hotr.org.uk.